Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, happy to have Todd Koontz, head boys basketball coach at Dunkerton, joining us today. Um, coach, thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me. I, uh, I love what the IBCA does and anything I can do to help grow the game. Absolutely. All right, Coach, start you off with my favorite question to ask everybody, and I, uh, it's going to be, who are your top three favorite basketball players of all time? Caveats, can't be someone you coached can't be someone that my mom knows. So we're getting the Jordans and the Pippins out of there. So coach, who are some of the three guys you just remember, your <laughs> girls that you remember watching, you just had a passion, just enjoyed them? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a usually, that's usually a the question. toughest question. Uh, again, I don't know who, <laughs> I don't know who exactly your mom knows and doesn't know. Um, that's first thing, my, first thing my mind jumps to, uh, growing up, I loved Chris Kingsbury from the University of Iowa. Perfect. Um, for those of those of us who are either really young or not from the state, Chris Kingsbury had unlimited range and uh, <laughs> shot the three from wherever he wanted to before that was the way to play basketball and the hip thing to do. So um, I don't know. For some reason, as a kid, I just loved I loved his mentality. I loved his kind of swagger and. Uh, you know, I, I, growing up, I wasn't a great player by any means, but, you know, one of the few things I could do was shoot the three ball. So I kind of always admired the uh, the guys who that was their role on the court. So I would say he's the first person that comes to my mind. Um, Absolutely love that. Oh, gosh. From an NBA perspective, I've always been a Timberwolves fan. And yes, that's hard it's to a admit. Tough life. But, uh, <laughs> it's a tough life to live. I, I it, it is. You know, we had a it was a it was a seminal moment this year that we were not in the draft lottery so that was the <laughs> first time I haven't been interested in that in a while so um but growing up there was a a, a guy who came from Miami of Ohio named Wally Zerbiak he was oh, an all-star sure. so but somebody that a lot of people don't know but I I always loved he was my favorite player um I had a Wally Zerbiak jersey when I was like in college and in high school and um I just loved the way he played and just kind of his all-around skill set um i would wally say is, now, wally is that? right in the range there i my mom has no idea who wally zerbiak is so i, right. that's, okay. I like that one a lot again he was an all-star so but anymore like these days i think like my favorite players now that i'm starting to respect are the uh the pat beverly's of the world the draymond greens the isaiah thomas not the little one from the celtics the pistons one back in the day and i just I've, I've really started to, to love the, the toughness guys, the guys who don't need to score, but the guys who, who get under the other team's skin and, and yep. play great defense and hustle. And um, I, I watched that, the kid from the Pelicans, Alvarado, maybe the, the little back of the yep. guard who came in. It was just, you know, you see those clips on, on, online now. And, uh, you know, I, I, we always talk, at least, you know, at our school, and I'm sure so many coaches do about filling roles. And uh, it's not easy to get, you know, NBA players, let alone high schoolers, to to be that defensive bulldog and do the dirty work, and you know, not 
necessarily get all the glory, but uh, those players have really started to stand out to me lately as well. Absolutely. Oh, I love those. Uh, great reasons too, coach. Um, all right, we'll shift gears, jump into your background. So currently the head coach of Dunkard in high school, uh, taking back to your playing days, um, how'd you get into coaching and how'd you wind up at Dunkard in? Well, I, I got into coaching because I love basketball and I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I certainly have a unique, I have a, I have a unique journey compared to, to so many coaches that I meet, you know, I was just talking with, uh, with Coach Collison at Iowa Falls this weekend up at the UNI camp and just so many people I meet who were great players, you know, and, um, you know, I, I was not, I was, <laughs> I was, a, I was a reserve and uh, even as a senior, I never started and I, but I loved the game and I knew the game and, uh, you know, I was the kid who grew up, I've always had a very analytical mind and love stats and math and I was the one keeping Shaq stats on a yellow legal pad when I was watching his games back in 1994 and, uh, it was just, I was, I was kind of the, kind of the geeky basketball lover. And so, you know, when I, I went to you and I, after I graduated high school, I went to high school at, uh, it was formerly known as Walnut Ridge. It's now Waterloo Christian school. And, um, I went to college at UNI and got right back into coaching, um, when I was 19 years old at my alma mater. Um, so I, I was the assistant coach for a couple of years there. And then actually when I was 21 years old, our coach left to take a different job and they handed it over to me. So, I, uh, you know, when so many people were playing, I was getting my, my feet wet right away and uh, was able to be, you know, a head coach at the age of 21. And, uh, you know, there's certainly some good things that came from that, some, some, some challenges and maybe things that I didn't grow as quickly because I was kind of doing my own thing, you know. But, uh, you know, basketball has just been something that's just always been a passion for me, a love for me. And, and coaching, you know, I'm, well, you know, I'm already looking at my – 20th year of coaching next year um, of all my years included and I'm only 38 years old so it's uh you know I've I've certainly it's been a, a lifelong passion for me and then something that I don't see myself giving up anytime soon absolutely um so coach how long at Dunkerton then can you say that again uh, I think I maybe missed that yeah no no I, I might have skipped over that sorry yeah um this will be um this fall will be my seventh year as head coach at Dunkerton it'll be my my 10th 10th year overall um I previously had you know, head coaching stops at, uh, at Waterloo Christian and, um, and I spent a year at uh, Denver high school as well. And then um, I was teaching at Dunkerton and um, coach Dan Knievel, who was the head coach for um, quite a few years uh, had to, had to step down because he was traveling globally for work. And so um, we had a paid assistant job come open and we were going to have a real good team. That was uh, 2013, 2014 and Brian Brungard, who was, the greatest Dunkerton player to ever live won the state championship in 2004 and kind of a legend in, in our parts went to Coke college. Um, he was taken over as head coach and I went down and talked to him and said, Hey, I, I would love to come be a part of it. And just any of us who try to coach and teach in different districts, we know the challenges that come yeah. with that. And so to be able to, to be able to settle on a Dunkerton and uh, be able to help Brian for a few years. And then we spent a couple of years actually doing it together, but he's got a young family and his, uh, is still, you know, volunteering a day or two a week, but he's kind of gotten out of out of the role, and so it's kind of been, kind of been my show with a, a lot of great helpers and a lot of support staff the last. You know, it'll be seven years now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, coach, who are some of your influences on the way? Maybe you know people you played for, but people you work with. You know, guys who've influenced your coaching style. Um, maybe shout out a few of those people. I know there's too many probably to mention, but um, any of those people that have, that have helped you in your time as a coach. Sure. Um, you know, thinking back to high school, uh, I, I had a social studies teacher um, 
at uh, Water Christian by the name of Tony Viss, and he was the longtime girls coach in the state. He was a head coach at uh, um, Audubon and Harlan, and most recently at Cedar Rapids Kennedy. And I think now he is teaching at Cedar Rapids, and I believe he is either the freshman or sophomore boys coach. Um, but he was he was somebody who was you know a young guy, loved basketball, very similar to me in his mentality. And you know I think that we all you know hopefully have teachers we gravitate towards, and he was certainly that for me. And um, you know, I spend a lot of time in this classroom picking his brain, talking to him and he, we just connected so well. And so he got me to love coaching, um, you know, while I was still in high school, it just, it is one of the things I went to you and I went into teaching is just knew it's what I wanted to do and, and to help kids. And I think Tony was a big, a big step in kind of getting me to love that, you know, so many kids, unfortunately leave high school and the last thing they ever want to do is be around another high school, you know, yeah, but yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that experience. I, I, I grew to love it right away. And uh, so I think he was a, a, a big kind of foundational guy for me. Um, you know, and then just recently, I think just those two guys that I mentioned from Dunkard and um, Dan Knievel and Brian Brungard that um, were former head coaches of Dunkard and guys have had, had a chance to work with and, and now, you know, both helped me and are on my staff and just, guys who've had a lot of, you know, playing experience, collegiate experience, um, just, just people who've tried to help me grow. You know, I, like I said, I was, I was forced into a head job, not forced. It was a very awesome opportunity, but you know, at such a young age that yeah. you know, I kind of got set in my ways a little bit and, you know, being able to kind of expand that opportunity. And, you know, after being a head coach for eight years, going back and being an assistant for three years, it gave me a chance to, you know, really take a step back and learn exactly what I want. And I think it's just helped my career that much more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so coach, you know, like you said, you started young. What's the biggest thing that you feel like has kind of changed in, over time? You know, that first year of being a head coach to your most recent year, what, what's the biggest differences for you? What's what, where, or maybe even where do you feel like you've grown uh, the most? Yeah. Um, I, th I think right away, I, I kind of realized, you know, especially in small schools and, and, and you know how it is with, you know, you, you got, you have the, the players that you have and it's not easy. It's not easy to win and it's not easy to win anywhere. And I think that's something that, you know, when you're young, I, I feel like you almost get unrealistic expectations, maybe, um, you know, it's <laughs> first off, I mean, just even something as simple as, as, as getting to the state tournament is, is, is so difficult, you know, yeah. um, over the last six years, I've owned three in sub-state games. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of chances to reflect on that. But I think when I was young, I would have taken that even a lot harder than I have now. Um, just to be able to put things in perspective and, uh, you know, realize that, that half the half the schools and half the coaches out there are going to have losing records every year. And, and that's okay, you know, um, that there's so much more than just winning basketball games. And I think that's been a big part of, of my journey is, you know, I'm obviously ultra competitive, but being able to to accept you know, when, when we're having struggles and, and find ways to work through that and be the, be the leader to help kids understand that as well, because, you know, I, any good coach would know that the, those life lessons we're learning are going to help them, you know, as young adults, as, as, as future, you know, employees, husbands, spouses, whatever comes to them. And so I think that that's really helped me kind of grow and put things into perspective. Um, as far as basketball wise, I think, you know, my first my first seven years, I was at, uh, you know, a small private school and found myself playing a lot more zone, running a lot more set plays, kind of trying to slow things down. Um, I, you know, I, I used to, I remember when I was a young coach getting so upset when we turned the ball over. And I think that 
that's kind of one of the things that really in the last five years I've come to accept is that it's okay to turn the ball over. It's okay to make mistakes. Like we just got to do things the right way. And, and so I've kind of gotten our kids to buy into that. And, um, you know, there's, we, we, we press a lot and if we give up a layup, you know, it's okay. Um, if we're running the floor and, and, you know, we overthrow somebody in transition, trying to throw over the top, it's okay. And, you know, I think that, you know, just kind of my mindset as far as, you know, playing through mistakes and, and being, being okay with failing as long as we're doing it the right way. Um, I think it's something that is certainly just come with maturity for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, the turnover thing really highlights, you know, I think we could probably both say at our size of school, a lot of times, even on really good teams, we still are going to play guys with significant minutes that probably don't dribble very good with both hands or maybe even one hand uh, and getting them to kind of learn, you know, that turnover is going to happen. And I think as coaches, like you mentioned, being able to accept that is huge. Uh, and then also just, you know, what's a good turnover. Are you trying to make a good pass? And it just, and it sailed through, but it, it was the right idea versus what are you doing? You know, maybe you made a mental mistake. That wasn't good. I really like that. Uh, coach, yeah, we'll kind of transition then. Um, cause we kind of have already, uh, if people haven't seen Dunkard in play these last few years, uh, what does your team look like? What are the goals of your team? Um, what are some of your maybe, um, pillars that you have for your coaching philosophy over the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I think if anyone has seen us play the last five years, uh, you know, we, the shot clock's not going to affect us. <laughs> we play quickly. Um, we were actually just up at UNI this, this past weekend and we got to play two or three games with the shot clock. And I think there's two possessions in three games and realize that's unstructured. There's no scouting going on at that point. You know, it's, I think it's going to come into play a little more than we think, but you know, we, we certainly like to score the basketball. We like to do it quickly. Um, you know, we, we drill things all the time, um, whether it's in summer stuff, whether it's in season, but we do things with drills with the shot clocks and we do um, drills where if you score within the first six seconds in a transition drill, you get double points. Uh, I mean, we, we, we like to push the tempo and that's again, part of where I've said we've learned to, you know, kind of live with those mistakes and um, you know, you know, so that's one thing that, that we do is, is we do our primary break all the time. Um, we have certain options we love to do in transition. Um, one thing that I've really started to really rely on is, is setting, you know, that quick drag ball screen before the defense gets set up. That's something that, you know, again, none of these ideas are my own. It's, it's things you steal, but you find out what works for you. And, you know, we just put, we just try to put so much pressure on the other team's defense before they get set up. And, you know, especially when you're playing like a conference team or somebody you've played two or three times on the year, you know, we all know what we're running. So if we're able to do that without having to slow down and get into something, it just, you know, no matter how much you prep and scout for a team, it's so difficult to stop that. Um, so I want all our guys to be, to be decisive. I want our guys to have the freedom to, to drive the ball, to shoot the ball in transition. Um, so I think that's kind of at least offensively what you'd see if you came and watched us. You know, I think last year we ended out averaging over 70 a game. Um, we've, we've certainly been in the top five or 10 in, the, in at least one A in scoring over the last five years quite a few times. So I think that's something you would see right away is just is guys playing loose and playing free and playing decisively on, on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, I think that, uh, you know, I, I love to press, um, but – I also have learned as, as all coaches do, there's years you can do certain things you want to do and there's years you can't, you know, and I had a really athletic, you know, fun team last year, but we didn't press very well. And it's something I continue to try to do, try to do, we tried to practice it, but you know, we kind of had to just 
you know, I had, and there was at least one game where one of my assistants said, Hey, why are we pressing? Get out of it. <laughs> like, you know, and, and, and I, I need that, you know, I think that that's another thing as a coach is you want, you want to have guys who, who will be on your staff who will tell you like, Hey, like we got to do something different or, Hey, this isn't working. And, and I think that that's one of the most important things as a head coach is that you not only accept that, but you seek that out. You know, we ask the kids to be, to be coachable. And, you know, we need to, in our leadership roles, be able to accept that as well and be coachable as well, you know. So um, the, the, certainly there's times that we're going to press. Uh, but other than that, we're just going to be in your face. We're going to play a lot of man. Um, I would say we probably play one of the fewest amounts of zone of any team in the state possession-wise. Um, you know, and there's great teams that play great zone. I grew up loving to watch Syracuse play, you know, and I still do. But you know, as, as far as our team, we found that, uh, you know, that we get are better when we defend a certain way. And I think most people know what to expect when they come and play us. Absolutely. All right. Let's break that down a little bit, coach. I, I'll start on the defensive side of the ball. That's usually where I like to start. So when you are pressing, sure. uh, is a man press, is it a zone press, is it mixing it? And then what are some of your philosophies when you have had teams, you feel like press successfully, what are some of the keys that have, um, caused that to happen? You know, I, Actually, our, our press and our man-to-man defense actually end up morphing pretty similarly. Everything is, is just predicated on keeping the ball to the middle and forcing it outside. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer, at least man-to-man-wise, in, in playing no middle defense. That's something we've been doing for years. And so we, we try to force the ball to the sideline. We, we want to force people baseline. Um, and, and really what that does is that ends up kind of continuing into our pressure defense. And you know, if we give if we give the ball, if the other team gets the ball in the middle, they beat us, and they know that, and and we know that. So we we've always got to do a great job of trying to, you know, almost set a trap where we where we you know we make it look alluring to go up the sideline. We want you know young guards who even if they've been told by the coaches get the ball in the middle, but they see open yeah. <laughs> open pasture on the sideline to take it there, and then you know we're going to get there, and we're going to meet them. So um, the, most of the pressure that we've run, we had a really really good pressing team about four years ago um, was a man to man with run and jump principles. Now we're not quite as, you know, aggressive maybe as like a North Lynn, uh, how they do it. But, you know, I don't, I can't think of a team in state who presses better than, than coach Hilmer does down in North Lynn, you know? So there's a lot of, you know, I've, I found myself watching a lot of his films trying to pick up on things that he does, you know, and then, um, but you know, what we want to do is just, is just really put pressure on guards and, and make them, make them pick up their dribble, make them, you know, make unforced errors, make them, you know, get nervous, throw the basketball away, just make them uncomfortable. And that's something we do in the half court defense as well. Um, we just, you know, I talk to my kids all the time about, about comfort level. And if we, if we know that the other team is having trouble getting into their actions, if we know that their guards are remotely feeling like they're uncomfortable, that, that we're winning and that we're doing the right thing. So that's, that's a lot of what we do defensively is just, it is, is pressuring the right spots. But then, but then with that, we, we are obsessive about our backside rotations, both yeah. in the press and in, and in man-to-man, because, you know, if you're going to set a trap in, in, you know, 60 feet from the basket, you've got to have guys on the backside. We call it fixing it. We fix it, fix it, fix it. And if we're pressing, I, you probably don't hear me go five seconds without yelling, fix it to somebody, because we always want to be in front of the basketball on the backside. And um, so we really got to get back and, you know, try to take away that backside dunker spot and, um, and that kind of continues into our man-to-man as well. Uh, you know, our, our biggest key that we talk about is helping the helper. And I know that that's not a new concept, um, but so many, it's amazing when you watch film how many teams it may be help well, but then they don't rotate and help the helper. 
And we've even got to the point where we break down things on film about helping the helper's helper <laughs> and, you know, uh, forcing somebody baseline, cutting off the baseline with our big, and then getting inside, getting inside the big with our guards, but then also being able to X out on the backside when they make a, that, you know, that backside kick. And, you know, a lot of these things are, are easier at our level, you know, um, in a 1A or 2A school, generally there's going to be somebody you can maybe help off a little more. Um, you know, this summer and a lot of times the offseason, we play a lot of bigger schools. We were over at Waterloo West scrimmaging the other day and, um, you know, played played some bigger 3A and 4A schools up at UNI this weekend. And certainly we start to see as we, you know, level up the the amount of people who are able to take advantage of that beat that. So, you know, I think if I was coaching at a bigger school, maybe we would change how much we help, um, if that makes sense, change how we rotate. But, you know, at least at our at our level, we found that uh, that – we can be pretty darn successful when we, you know, I would say if anything, you know, maybe we over help is, is maybe an outsider would come in and say if they watched us, but we know how to do it. We know how to, to, to help the helper, help the helpers helper. And uh, you know, it, it works for us and the kids know what to expect. So coach pressure defense with those guards, what are you doing to teach that on ball pressure um, and, and utilize what you have on your team? Um, to be able to force the team sideline and do those things consistently, primarily in the half court. Yeah, um, I, I, th I think that I think the biggest thing is footwork, and something that we're pretty obsessive over is is you know not only how we're angling people, but uh, but specifically just just closing out. Um, I know that there's a lot of people in modern basketball kind of believe the closeout's kind of dead, and that uh, you know we need to run shooters off the line. But you know I even if we give up 10 threes in a game, that's still only 30 points. You know, we, we, we want to make sure we're not giving up layups. <laughs> and so we, I, we obsessively go over closeouts. We do closeout drills, you know, every single day in practice, sometimes a couple of times. And, you know, if, if I see kids who, who aren't doing something right, and whether that's in a, a closeout drill, whether it's in, you know, a half court shell, or if we're doing something like a perfect possession, you know, we're going to stop it. And I, I want to try to give that immediate feedback to kids because I, I think if we let it go five minutes and say, Hey, you remember that possession about 12 of ago when your footwork was bad, you know, I, I just have so many kids and I think we all do who are going to hear and they're going to nod their head. Like we all see, but they're not going to learn anything. So, you know, that's one thing I've kind of tried to, you know, try to let them play as much as I can in practice. But, you know, if I need to teach, I want to stop and I want to teach, especially one-on-one -on -one to kids or if I need to pull them aside, because we do want to get that right. Um, but I, I think that I think the footwork drives what we do and that, and then communication. Um, you know, the kids need to know where they're forcing them. Um, one thing that we have done for, oh, I bet seven, eight years now is, is switch everything one through five. And again, that's easier to do at a small school. Um, but it's something that our kids know right away. They know if they're playing the five spot for us, they've got to have the ability to guard a great point guard. Um, and that's just something that they grow up doing in junior high. It's something my junior high coaches do. It's something my JD coaches do. They know that that's my expectation. And so, you know, uh, and if you're, if you're a five, seven point guard and you get stuck on a six, five big, it's going to happen. And, and you're going to sit on their knee and sit in front of them and we're going to have great backside help. And so kids know what to expect, but with that just comes repetition. It comes communication. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that I've kind of really started to adopt more as I've gotten older is, you know, when I was 22, 23 year old coach, we were trying to switch six defenses. We weren't really good at anything. <laughs> I thought that I was trying to mask our, our weaknesses by, by switching and by switching defenses. And, and now obviously I think I, you know, I'm a firm believer that you need to, to have a change up, you know, every once in a while, but 
you come and watch us 90, 95% of the time we're playing half court, man, we're switching everything one through five. We're forcing sideline baseline. Um, we're looking to trap when we can in the half court and, and just being aggressive. And, you know, if we make a mistake, we make a mistake. Yep. Actually, I always, I felt that same way where it's like, we're going to do one defense hopefully really well and make tweaks throughout the season on it, as opposed to trying to do, you know, two or three defenses on the more average side. Yes. Um, yes. That is, that is something that I've, I've come to learn and, and, and appreciate that for sure. Dunkerton's getting out. We're playing pressure defense. You've already mentioned how you want to play quickly on an offense. Let's talk about what you actually try and do to play quickly on offense. So ball goes up, it either goes in or you rebound it. Uh, what are you telling your guys to get out in transition? Are we numbered break? Is there always one guy who's the point guard getting the ball? What does that look like? Well, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a, a point guard right now. He's going to be a senior, Casey Gardner, who is a uh, second team All-State selection last year, led the state in assists. So he's somebody who, you know, we get into his hands a little more than what I normally like to play. Um, but when you have a talent like that, who's such an elite passer and creator, we do try to find him in the break as much as possible because he's, he's just so good at then finding the open guy. But, you know, I, you know, throughout the years, I think ideally ours is not necessarily a numbered break. Um, it's more of a, you have spots and we fill them. Um, and so, you know, I always, I always want somebody putting pressure on the rim. I want somebody running to the rim. Um, and then I want, I want other guys getting to the corners and, and, and our biggest thing is that we want everybody who plays for us to be a great passer. Um, we, we are, we are such firm believers in, in passing the ball up the floor and, and in getting it swung early and then, you know, just, just trying to attack before the defense has a chance to set up. And so um, ideally we're going to, we're going to always look ahead. We're going to do a lot of, of, of pitching it over the top of the defense. If we have a chance to, we're doing a lot of throwing the ball to the corner. Uh, I've started to become more and more okay with shooting threes in transition before the other team gets set up, you know, um, I got a couple, couple guys who certainly I trust to do that more than others. And they know that and they, they accept that, but, um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest lessons anyone can learn is that we're always going to be better for passing rather than dribbling. And the, the, the break is no exception to that. Um, uh, another thing that I want my bigs to do that we, that we teach and that we drill when we do position work. Um, and I say bigs loosely because I don't have a ton of post players like, yeah. like so many of us, you know, our, our bigs, especially at small schools might be a six, one kid, but um, I, I want everyone to have the, the ability to do that release dribble or that speed dribble, however you want to call the terminology, but I want our, our, our bigs to get the rebound and I want them to turn and, and take a dribble and start the break themselves. I don't want them to just turn pivot and try to find a guard who's at the same level as them. Um, I want everything going down the floor. And so that's just something, again, that, that we that we just we drill and we do a lot of competitive drills at our practices and, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, a transition drills and you know, whether we're giving bonuses to, to scoring in the first seven seconds or whether we're giving a bonus if you score before all five guys cross midcourt from the other team. You know, just little things that we do where, where the kids just know over and over and over that, that that's what we're looking to do. And it, I think it when kids grow up learning how to play that way from the start of their freshman year. And even in the middle school, I think it just gives them the confidence that they just can do it. And even if it's not natural to them, they learn to make it natural. So they don't have to think about it and they, they know where to go and they know where guys are going to be and they have that trust. 
Um, that practicing transition is something that I know I found really interesting because we really shifted to that a few years ago with obviously some of the great guards that we've had. Um, and you mentioned that maybe giving a bonus, like if they are able to get a good look early. Um, is there anything else you feel like you do or maybe a particular drill that's like this has really helped us play fast and uh, and get good looks at the same time? Yeah. Um, you know, the first week or two of the season, we always do a little bit of five on no, you know, the five on a primary break that so many coaches do. But once we get a week or two into the season, we really stop doing that. Um, I, I think that. I think just the more that we can do with competitive drills, I mean, it's, I, I it, we don't overcomplicate it, you know, just, I think just the more that guys get that repetition, the more that guys get that competitive drill where we, where we give bonuses to thing. It, it kind of feel like it's the same way with rebounding, you know, so many coaches, you know, pull out their hair trying to think of rebounding drills. And that's one thing when I used to go to coaching clinics and talk to everyone I could talk to, like, what do you do for rebounding? What do you do for rebounding drills? Cause we always feel like we're not good enough rebounding. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I was young, we used to, you know, set the ball down and try to do box outs for five seconds, you know, and just all these old school things. And, and, and now I've just started to get more and more to the fact where we might do, we might start like a transition drill with, uh, whoever gets the rebound gets an extra possession. So we'll do a thing where we'll shoot it up and whatever team gets the rebound gets two possessions where the other team gets one. So we'll go three trips. Um, but you know, that's, that's really about the extent of what we do rebounding wise, because it's just one of those things where we, we tell the kids, it's just something we got to do. And, and maybe we'll do something where we score a certain drill where it's plus one of you no board, or um, we've even done sometimes and we didn't want the summer already where we'll even do uh, plus one for a defensive rebound. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, the things where maybe it's not a technique thing, it's just more of a, a will and a let's just reward it kind of thing. And so um, something that we, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we do, you know, we point out on film. I, I think I think that guys who've been in this business a long time know that things like the huddle have been the greatest invention for coaching. I mean, it is the ability to to be able to clip things and have have film be a quick you know thing where you can go show these twenty five things in ten minutes. You can really teach off that. Um, you know, I, I think that the things that we want to emphasize that are the things that we're going to point out all the time to them. And it's not necessarily something once that foundation set that we are that we're drilling is something that we are um, working into drills, if that makes sense. Yep, absolutely. Um, so coach out in transition, but you guys don't get anything quick, right? Like mm -hmm. not early. Uh, what's your kind of primary break to get into your offense? And then what's your offense look like? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the earlier in the conversation, you know, we've, we've gone to a lot of drag screens. Um, we've, <laughs> I'm trying to get them to work in a little bit of a double drag too uh, from time to time, but you know, we, we love to try to push. And if we have a chance to push in the break, a lot of times we'll look for that backside corner drift, kind of that hammer action. Um, because we just, again, we trust guys getting to certain spots and then, you know, trying to just, just get spacing right away. Um, but if we're not able to get things right away, kind of out of those, you know, those couple just secondary options. Um, most of what I do is kind of four out one in, but I, I'm a, I, one thing that I've, an adjustment I've made over the last seven, eight years is, you know, I, and I, I, I really kind of like putting that post down in that, that short corner, that dunker spot, kind of hugging the baseline. Um, it just, for us, it gives so much more freedom of movement. Um, now, whoever we put down there has the ability to, to cut, they can duck in and post up from time to time. But, you know, we really, I know a lot of schools and a lot of teams you see even in NBA college are going to more using that four out one end, but then putting a post up high or running kind of that five out and using your post as a passer out of the high post. Um, you know, we're, 
we're still kind of we're still kind of more of a believer in just kind of putting him down on the baseline and just just creating opportunities for us to get two feet in the paint. Um, a, a terminology that I saw that we, that we've been using the last couple of years we call them body blows. And if you get two feet in the paint, we 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 are obsessed about talking about playing off two feet. Um, and that's something again a change that I've made in coaching throughout the years is almost all of our layup drills, almost all of our one on one finishing drills we do off two feet and. Um, so that's that's something that we try to do is just is is just obsessively in our half court offense, whether we're setting um, ball screens, whether they're setting off the ball screens, whether it's, you know, a pin down, a flare screen, uh, what, whatever it may be. We're, we're trying to create opportunities for guys to get the ball and either get open shot or get to the paint. Um, our, our, our kind of motto and something that we talk about every single day and my kids probably get so sick of it is and it's something I actually heard. Oh, it was probably about 10 years ago, and I could not tell you the coach, but I was watching, it was one of the years that the Iowa Hawkeyes were in the NIT. They showed the locker room before the game, and I always love when they show the locker room and the coaches are wired up, you know. But the coach from the team they were playing, I want to say it was maybe like a, I don't know, like a North Dakota State or South Dakota State or something, but the coach said, uh, like the three, love the rim. And that's just a motto that we've adopted and we use, and our kids know that. They, you know, we're going to take, you know, 18 to 20 threes a game and that, and that's okay. We like threes. We, as long as they're good threes, we talk about kick out threes. We talk about getting two foot stops and getting a kick out, playing through the big and, and, and kicking out on the backside. Um, you know, we, we want to take threes. We want them to be good threes, but, but, but we love the rim. And, and if we find ourselves where we're settling for jumpers too much, that's when I kind of start getting cranky because I, I want our guys attacking the basket. And, and, you know, that's when we're going to get to the free throw line. That's when we're going to get, you know, easy second chances when we get guys helping and then we're able to get that backside on board if we miss the layup. Um, you know, I want everyone who plays for us to have the ability to attack the basket. Um, so that's certainly something, you know, I talked about analytics early. You know, it's something where we don't, we don't take a whole lot of mid-range shots. Um, you know, I do have, uh, I mentioned Casey Gardner, our second team All-State point guard is, a phenomenal mid-range pull-up jump shooter. So I've kind of gotten to the point now where, you know, I've, I've certainly okay with that because he's just so good at it. You know, you, I think as a coach, you can't, if, if you got a player who has a skill set that doesn't match your, not, you know, necessarily match your system, you got to be okay with letting them do the things they do well, you know? So we shoot a little bit more mid-range shots than what we, what we used to do right now, but that's one or two kids taking those shots. For the most part, the kids know they're attacking the rim. They're going hard. They're playing off two feet, and if we don't get anything, we're looking into that to that post who's sitting in that weak side dunker spot, or we're kicking out. And if we need to make an extra pass, then we're 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 doing it decisively. Um, we're limiting our dribbles that are wasted, and uh, you know we're just trying to attack the paint whenever we can. Absolutely, coach. So I I'm hearing you talk here, and I I know we're following a lot of the same things. I think we coach a very similar style so my next question is probably a little different than what I usually ask small school all the stuff we see on you know maybe the coaching twitter or wherever you're getting your information right um what do you feel like kind of the trends and stuff you see online that maybe don't always apply to our size of school and our level of basketball so for example one that I'm going to take away from you using as an example is closeouts because mm -hmm. I feel the exact same way of teaching closeouts because we still play a lot of teams where they're going to have one, probably two guys who aren't great outside shooters on the floor. And so, yeah, we don't tell you to fly out past that guy because we think that's probably a bad move. Is there yeah. anything else you feel like, hey, these are great trends and you like watching this or maybe you see it a lot um, in coaching advice, but don't don't feel like it always applies to um, your team? Yeah, yeah. Um... 
you know, I think, I think one thing that, that if you came to one of our practices, you'd probably be surprised about is that, is that we don't shoot a ton in practice. Uh Um, I, I I rely on my kids to do a lot of their shooting, you know, either before or after practice, um, off season work, um, getting shots up on their own, uh, getting in the gym when they can. Uh, I, I know that there's, there's probably a lot of coach out there who maybe shoot, you know, 30, 40 minutes every practice, but, um, that's something that we don't do a ton of that I think that would maybe be a little different from what I do compared to a lot of others. Um, I think that kind of the recent push from what I've seen and what I've heard people talk about is getting away from giving kids too much scouting information, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just kind of like your, your team be good at what you do. Um, I think if you walked into one of our practices, that's not the case. If it's the day or two leading up to one of our games, I mean, every one of our kids knows every one of their rotation players for every team we play and they can tell you what they can do. And, and we watch a lot of film from other teams. And that's something that I, you know, I think that from what I see, you know, at least in every, every coach has their own tendencies, but I've seen a lot of, you know, hey, scouting reports are for coaches and scouting reports are, you know, there's all the coaches know, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe that I, you know, we're going to know the main four or five blobs that other teams are running. We're going to know their main actions. We're going to know what their kids do. And I do put a lot of pressure on our high school kids to to learn and, and spend time with the scouting reports. And so I think that's something where maybe I'm slightly, slightly unorthodox, especially maybe compared to a lot of small schools, maybe that, you know, we're not taking the time to do that. Um, we're t- taking the time to build, you know, kids' abilities instead. Um, and then I, I think that, I think one thing that, at least from a small school perspective, and I mentioned this earlier, is just the amount of help we give. Um, I, I just, we are, at Duncan and we are obsessive, and something I'm obsessive about is, is, is help side defense. And we're going to have two feet in the paint. So not only in the paint, we're going to, we talk about the midline all the time. We have a midline where we, we get to and, and, and we want to help early. And if people drive, we want to meet them outside the paint. And then we're sagging way inside of the big on the backside. And so I, I would say most coaches would maybe see us and say, whoa, they overhelp. Um, but I think that that's something at, the, at a small school level that you're going to get away with a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously defense starts and is predicated by how well you can guard the basketball one-on-one. And that's, we all know that <laughs> whether that's second grade or whether that's NBA, you got to be able to guard the basketball. Um, but I also know that if teams run a fluent offense and they're moving the ball, that we're going to get beat a lot of times. And I want to make sure when we do get beat that we've got guys waiting and we've got guys making them have to make great plays to beat us. Um, so that's something that I think in, in a small school that we're going to do a little bit more of. Absolutely. I love those thoughts, coach. I'm kind of going to wrap it up here. I'll leave you with one question. Uh, any advice you have for anybody getting in the game here uh, that you'd just like to share before um, we hit the pause button on this Zoom? Yeah. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest reasons I've gotten involved with IBCA um, over the last few years, which I, I, I love, you know, talking with other coaches, meeting other coaches and, you know, uh, just just getting the ability to to connect with people. And I know the IBCA has picked up the mentoring process um, that we started last year. And, uh, you know, I think guys who are new to the game, one of the best things that, that you can do is just, is just pick the brain of guys who've been around for a while. And, and I know I learn from, from, from new coaches, from coaches who've been around for 40 years. I, every time I talk to a coach, I pick something up. I learn something, something I want to try or something that I, even if it's not, if, even if it's something I don't agree with, it gives me a chance to, to think to myself, why don't I agree with that? And, and, you know, should I, you know, I think that, I think that the, the, coaching is is very difficult and you know we talk a lot about refereeing umpire shortage right now in the state and that's that's it's really unfortunate and I and I don't want to see 
I don't want to see that start to affect games the way it has in baseball, at least at the basketball level. And then, you know, hopefully that's something that we can all do a better job sportsmanship wise, but I don't think coaching is, is that far different. And I think that we're going to start seeing, and I think we're already seeing a lot of guys who, you know, are young getting out of the profession and um, whether that's uh, the, the demands of the schedule, whether that's a, you know, something where they're having struggle with, with community pressure or whether they're struggle with administrative pressure. Um, you know, I think that coaches, whether they're, again, whether they're a 24 year old in the first year as a head coach, um, a 10 year assistant or a 30 year head coach, I think that we all need a support system. And so I just want, I want guys to always know that they can reach out to, to anyone that they're not alone in this. You know, when I first got started, I, you know, I think we all go through those moments where we get done with the game, we lose by 10, we lose by 20, maybe we win by 10, but we thought we played terrible. And we all have those moments where we think like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing wrong? You know, and I just, I think that any, any coach, whether they're young or old needs to, needs to have other guys in the profession they can lean on. And so that's, that's one thing I would just encourage people is, is that you're not alone. I mean, we've all sat there and thought like, Hey, I need to scrap my offense or Hey, like, how do I, I don't know what I'm doing. I got to figure this out. Or how do I develop this player? How do I fix this habit? Or, or what can I do to build my youth program? Or what can I do to, to help the, uh, the community support the program or fundraise or just, you know, we're, we're all in this together and there's, you know, what, 350 high schools in the state of Iowa. And I just would encourage people as much as possible, reach out to others and, uh, you know, find support because, because every time I do, I, I find myself rejuvenated and, um, you know, just, just so many, so many great lessons we can make when we, when we network with others. Absolutely. Some great advice, coach. Appreciate it. Um, thanks again for your time uh, and look forward to watching you guys this upcoming season. Yeah, I really appreciate it, coach. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, Once again, thank you for joining us today.